As we continue uh, our studies in Gospel of John, we're chapter 9 today. The whole chapter is about one event of um, a congenital blindness being healed. A man who was born blind and touched by Jesus, and the miracle happened. And as we think about this whole chapter, I think the first relevant thing that comes to our, our heart is that uh, there are things that happening even, in, even around us, especially for those parents. And when they experience children, have some abnormality. And in Western world, in today's world, in 20th century, 21st century, things are much better, and the languages are better also too, but it is still the most severe suffering. Even if spite, in spite of the small learning disabilities, that becomes a pain. But just imagine your child being born without a leg, being born without ability to speak or see, or being born with a severe learning disability. And that's the reality of um, Today we encounter that uh, story, and Jesus shines bright in this passage. The whole chapter is about the one event, as I said, but it's too much to deal with. And we're going to focus on verses 1 through 25, and, and then we'll save the rest of the verses, the remainder of the chapter for next time. And the verse 1 through 25 is just, can be easily divided into two parts. One is the miracle itself, and John calls, the Gospel of John calls sign. Sign for something. I'll explain that in a bit. But by sign, John always means miracle. Verses 1 through 7, simple. But 8 through the rest of the chapter, until verse 44, 41, but today, verse 8 through 25 is controversies. That created by Jesus. And that there are four responses to Jesus' healing of the blind, men born blind. So let's focus on the first thing, first thing at a time. The healing of a man born blind is a sixth sign. There are seven miracles, seven signs in the Gospel of John. This is the sixth one. And we get to see the seventh one in John chapter 11, the final and then grandeur of Jesus' might and power over death, not only over blindness this, this morning. Verses 1 through 7. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, asked him Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and, he, and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seen. There are about four things we need to observe on this. 
So first of all, it is a sign that validates Jesus' explicit truth claim about himself to be God, the great I am. Remember last Sunday, that was the main thing. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Instead of I was, it wasn't just the pre-existence of Jesus before Abraham came to being. Jesus was using the Greek word. Two words is basically I am, I am. Ego, Amy. Ego, Amy was the word from Exodus chapter 3 when Jesus, I mean, when God was answering Moses, what his name is, I am who I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And the next verse, verse, immediately the Jews picked up stones. Because it was about blasphemy. It wasn't just implicit and subtle. It was explicit claim. The purpose of signs in Gospel of John or any public ministry of Jesus, even other Gospels, synoptic Gospels as well, is to provide evidence, validation, that he is who says he is. And the ultimate sign is the resurrection of Christ. That he, he claimed to be God and he rose from the dead. But this is very important turning point because there has been the conflict has been arising, intensifying. And then we get to see very disturbing scenes of the religious authorities arguing with him. And today, actually, we meet a person who becomes a believer, pure, true believer. Also, it is a sign that fulfills the Old Testament messianic prophecy. There are several prophecies about the Messiah will come, the blind will see. For example, Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6 to 7 says this, I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. The interesting thing about this, and there's double meaning, two meanings in this. So even though we are not blind physically, this is applicable. When Messiah will come, he will bring light to both physical blindness as well as the spiritual blindness. That we will see the light. And then the, the dungeons and prisoners, prisoners, not just the external uh, bondage, but the bondage of sin as well. Jesus already claimed that he, I am the light of the world. But he repeats that I am statement here in this passage. And he goes on saying, when the day, while it's day, we ought to work. And the night will come, then no one can work. What does that mean? He means the time of his cross and crucifixion and death. Not that after his death, and no one, the spirit is, doesn't work, but the work of the Lord himself, while he's in this world, he becomes light. And he will continue to do, to do the work that God has sent him for. Thirdly, this sign, sixth sign, is a unique story of healing that involves mud and washing of, with water on a Sabbath day. Why am I saying this? If you remember chapter 5, there are paralytic uh, their own cultural language, 
they called them, the paralyzed people, invalid. That's a kind of insulting word to begin with. The healing of the invalid happened. But 40, 80, 38 years, he was paralyzed. He couldn't get up, and Jesus healed him. How did he heal him? By words. Get up, take up your mat, and go home. But why in the world in this passage, Jesus spits in the ground, makes the mud, and applies in his, in his, on his eyes, and tells him to go to this pool called Siloam. And then John's very uh, deliberate in saying that the meaning of Siloam is the word sent. Then wash over there. Wash your eyes over there. And then you will be healed. You will receive sight. We could speculate about what, why did he, he do, uh, what the meaning of it, it, does it have a special medicine effect, special effect? No. Does he need to do that, make him well? No. But we could simply see the result and what he's doing is that we see one, once again the balance of sovereignty of God. It's solely God's work, Jesus' power, divine power, but he requires human responsibility, obedience. In other words, this is an object lesson. Do you believe that I can heal your blindness, congenital blindness, if you believe, do what I said. Go wash your eyes. Maybe we could think about the first creation when God created heaven and earth and made man and earth with the mud. And God is the potter with the clay. And Jesus showing his identity as the creator. And then going to Siloam, we could think about washing of our sin by the blood, shed blood of Jesus and Calvary. That our spiritual blindness will be washed away. Third and last one. It is a miracle to show God's glory as one of the divine purposes for suffering. And the Jews were mistaken because they were just fixated on the one purpose of God, which was sin. Whose sin is it? Can you believe that Jews will even go that far to believe a prenatal baby in the womb can somehow sin that Blindness is caused by his sinful act, whatever they did, maybe kick too hard, I don't know. Or the, his parents did some immoral thing to break the law, law of God. Just quickly, there are four purposes in Scripture revealed about the purpose, God's sovereign purpose. In suffering. Number one is the testing of our faith. In Genesis 22, Abraham was, his faith was tested. Can Abraham, one and only son, offer his son as a sacrifice to, to God? And when he actually gave what he was owned by, in other words, his possession became the possessor of his heart, rival in our heart, rival in his heart, with God's place. So obviously, Abraham, Abraham, when he finally even take the knife and put that up 
He calls Abraham quickly, and he received his son back. But Annette, the rival in his heart, was taken away. So Abraham can enjoy his son, love his son, as much as he could do without idolatry. That was the whole point. Abraham's truth, Abraham's faith became truth. Another, another example is the entire book of Job. And my brother, because of his uh, years of kidney failure and now uh, brain infection and other things, his teaching on Job was so powerful to me. And some of, uh, some of our uh, friends' parents, they listened to that, that Job series about the whole thing about his suffering has nothing to do with his sin or his life. Number two, the suffering is for disciplining and training us. Hebrews 12 says, if God loves us as his children, he will not leave us, but he will continually train us and discipline us for our edification. And then we might as well say our vision at Crossway this year, growing deeper in character, proven character. Why? Suffering gives us endurance. Endurance leads us to proven character, which means this is training and edification, and we become people with proven character that produces hope. So, uh, testing of faith, disciplining and training of our character, and number three purpose is a direct outcome of sin. Yes, there are examples in the scripture because of specific sins that people will receive illness or death. And to a point of you know, uh, Acts chapter 5, uh, simple lie to the Holy Spirit. They're stricken by the Holy Spirit and died. Receiving communion with ill attitude but they sometimes had the diseases and experienced that. But number four is today's purpose passage. And Jesus basically said, for showing God's glory, uh, namely, verse three, Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but the works of God might be displayed in him. Just one quick remark. Uh, about God's glory. We must not think of teleological perspective. What do I mean by that? Man's happy ending purpose. So God has a purpose. So my, my brother will be healed and he will preach as fluently, as eloquently he used to, even better. No? His speech is still very slow, and saying one, two sentences is difficult. He still cannot write with uh, right hand, so he has to eat with left hand. And same thing with missionary Lee. But what is it? What's God's glory? Just imagine those people in the first century, or the underground persecuted Christian. The suffering, persecution, and torture happens. And then God is glorified because of their bold witness to Christ, even to death. And they will receive crowns of life. In heaven, we will be surprised who gets really uplifted in high glory and honor. So, Having said this, I just want to go over quickly about four responses. And let's start with the four, number one, the closest people, the neighbors, the general public, but the neighbors who have seen this 
blind beggar day after day for years. What can we learn from that? Maybe we could summarize it this way. Mere curiosity does not lead us to see the light of Jesus. Verse 8, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no. But he is like him. He looks like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. First, first of all, let's notice this, the neutrality of their attitude. They're not critical, but they're absolutely astonished to a point that this can't be the same man. He used to, he, he used to sit here, and we know by hearing the story, he didn't one day lose sight. He was born blind. This is impossible. They were curious and very skeptical. And in, even in this world, even in the church, you could do that. And it sounds really good. I, you know, uh, you get to hear the stories, the testimonies about transformation. And curious about Jesus must have something to do with it. But I'm skeptical. As long as you are merely skeptical, And curious, that will not lead to, to see the light. In other words, we remain spiritually blind. So what did they do? They took the man to the Pharisees. So when we hear the word Pharisees, uh, these are ultimately religious people. But they are also experts about the law. On top of that, they are religious authorities. And, and in synagogue and in the town, they were the spiritual, mental, uh, societal, communal leaders. And then nothing but this uh, curiosity. They just basically said, I we want to know what happened to this guy. So which leads us to the second response, the Pharisees. The simple summarize of Pharisees, lesson on Pharisees is this. Spiritual pride prevents us from seeing the light of Jesus. Verse 14. See if you could see that. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes. And I washed. And see, I see. So some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God. For he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? They know the scripture. And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? 
since he has opened your eyes. He said, he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, asked them is, you, is this your son who you say was born blind? Notice how they, who you say was born blind. They're still very doubting. How then does he now see? I think the most dangerous thing is not actually the attitude of curious skeptics, but these religiously fervent people, which could be biggest temptation and warning for all of us. The spiritual pride, their self-effort, made them, they're all together, believing that they were seeing things, but in actuality, they're spiritually blind. Their spiritual pride was threefold. Number one, they added rules, human man-made rules to God's law. For example, you shall keep the Sabbath holy. Okay, what are some things that we should not do? Or we should not work. What does that mean? Okay, let's come up with the idea as work is operationally defined. 39 preventive rules, prohibitions on Sabbath day. Think, think about how ridiculous it is. You, you may spit at a rock, but you cannot spit into the ground because the making of the mud, mud is a work. Why? The, the, you know, kneading the dough, that kind of idea. The work and the medicine, making medicine, if you spit, that's another, another prohibition. So in their eyes, instead of looking at this mind-boggling miracle of man born blind, received sight, he could see. Instead of doing, paying attention to the obvious things, wait a minute, when did it happen? On Sabbath day? What did he do? By the way, we should know Jesus did this on, on a Sabbath day deliberately to make the controversy, to reveal things about his true identity, to teach them about true meaning of the Sabbath as well. Number two, a sign of spiritual pride was they mistook the meaning of Sabbath. The men are not made for Sabbath, and Sabbath is made for man, Jesus said. God gave us Sabbath. Once a week, you rest, physically, spiritually, emotionally, that you will keep that day holy, worship God, fellowship with others, so that this whole person will be restored and renewed. But instead of that, they were nitpicking every little detail, but Sabbath becomes the ultimate legalistic standard by which they measure everyone. Number three, they already had prejudiced decision against Jesus. If you make up your mind, no matter what you see, you will not open your eyes. Okay, lest we think that these religious freaks are just so radically different from us. Be very careful. What are some things that you are proud of? Some things that you don't do, that your non-Christian friends do. What are some things you do that non-Christians don't do? Is it a good word? Is it opening the word and praying? 
Is it coming to church? Is it serving voluntarily? There's a youth staff or welcome team or worship team or going to Yucatan or, or Thailand. But once you begin to think about these self-efforts and then your heart becomes proud instead of needy, poor, desperate for God's mercy, that's the sign that you are building this wall that you will not be able to see things. In a continuum, we should think about this. Yes, every new, uh, true Christians receive the sign, spiritual sign, to see Jesus. There is no other salvation than Jesus. But even every day, are you savoring the light? Is Jesus most treasured joy in your life? Is there competing rivals in that? And in your point of view, Jesus and the things that you, you are doing in light of Jesus or for Jesus becomes dutiful, much dutiful thing, heavy. In actuality, there are things that you would like to pursue more. And your spiritual side has been deemed blinded by spiritual pride. When we become childlike, we see our own need for Jesus. Not those people who are drunkard, sexually lose people, drug abusers. But even us, even at the best intention when we are serving for the Lord, the Satan whispers, you are good enough. You're much okay than those. Let's be mindful about this. From day one, the reason why Crossway Vision was radical for all of us is at the heart of its brokenness. We embrace brokenness. We see as a blessing, pathway to blessing. Take the way of cross, humiliation of our ego. That will humble us. And I will be the first person who will admit if we lose that spirit in our church, we are going down the hill. And Jesus becomes very much of a secondary, put him in a back runner. When we need crisis, when we, when we face a crisis, we will need him. But today, in, in our comfortable life and continually affluent life, uh, we're okay. Number three response is from the parents of the formerly blind man. And the lesson can be summarized in this way. Half-hearted heart and faith is like a thorny soil. They grow. Remember that the parable of the sawyer, the thorny soil, the plant is growing a little bit, but because of the thorns, they cannot grow further. And the Jesus expression was choked by the cares of this world, which grows little, but never sees the light. Look at verse 20. His parents answered, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But how he now he sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents, parenthetical remark of John, said these things because they feared 
the Jew, the Jews, the consequence of their power, religious authorities. For the Jews already had agreed if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, the Messiah, he was to be put out of the synagogue. And therefore his parents said, he is of age, and ask him. The parents, it's kind of good-hearted people, they were not denying, they were basically discerning, discerning, discerning in themselves from a fervent witness and affirming, confirming the miracle. Yeah, he's, he's our son. He's been, he was born blind. He, ne- he was never able to see. Well, we don't know how it happened. And who did it? Their son probably told them. And if, if they didn't have this fear, they probably confirmed. The man, the man named Jesus healed him. This is a miracle. Praise the Lord. They couldn't do that. And this, isn't this another temptation we have? When things are going well, when you don't have any problems of your Christian life, going to church and serving in church might be good, but there are any kind of friction, any kind of opposition, and problem occurs, and you stop growing. And we need to remember this. The true faith it reaches the point then spiritual blindness is taken away. We see. But until then, we might has, has gotten so close to a point that all people around us, oh, that person is a truly Christian. Look at him. Look at her. How he serves. How she serves at church. And even humbly. But that doesn't cure our spiritual blindness. It takes our whole heart. And this fear of man is also a very great obstacle for us even today to seeing the light of Jesus. And fourth and final response, this is really the, the reason why I titled this today's sermon, One Thing I Do Know, is a response from the formerly blind man. The lesson is simply this. True saving faith, faith sees the light with a clear turning point of transformation. I want to explain this a bit later, but pay attention to that um, sentence. Verse 24, so for the second time they called the man, the Pharisees, who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. This is the verse from which John Newton got his lyric of amazing grace. Once I was lost, I was found. I was blind, now I see. And for those of you who said, my Christian life is just steady. But have you experienced this turning point? Oh, maybe you're saying, oh, I've been always a good Christian. Or maybe I grew up in a Christian. Oh, I've been going to church for years. And nothing drastic happened to me. So once again, on a physical level, if I do have this kind of miracle, my eyes were blind and I see, of course, I will have that. But... Can you 
stay with me in this one. As much as the physical sight being given to the blind man is a miracle, the spiritual sight given to us, we actually believe this man Jesus called a Savior and Lord died on our behalf so that we could receive this eternal life with God. That sight is a miracle. One cannot just simply decide, okay, I, I like to choose. That's half-hearted religiosity, not true faith. But once you see Jesus as He is, your eyes are open. Oh, I need Him today as my Savior and Lord. Otherwise, I die in damnation, in my sin. And notice the controversy that Jesus created actually helped the blind man come to full faith, come to full testimony as well. Once he called Jesus the man, and then second time he called it, he's a prophet, and now one thing I do know, I'm going to save the last confession for the next message. One of our uh, pastors, will, probably Pastor Bo will be preaching on that. So I will not want to steal his thunder. But one thing that is important, even if we stop in this climactic moment, is this. It's not a physical thing. It's not external things. But we need clear point of transformation. And if you don't have that, and if you ca cannot even remember a turning point that you could testify as one thing I do know, uh, I know a lot of things, one thing I, I cannot point it out. Then you, I encourage you gently, firmly, compassionately, you need to struggle with that. I would love to talk to you. And one of our elders will talk to you and pastors. You need that clarity of coming to saving faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 to 4 and 7 says this. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of God, Christ, who is the image of God. But, verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Yes, opening our eyes, seeing the light of glory of Christ, the gospel of, of Jesus Christ, that becomes so most precious thing in our eyes, is God's work. But just like the man washing his eyes, man's obedience is true repentance and coming to faith. I want to close with some per something personal because it, it sounds much more detached things, right? Um, I'm not sure whether you've seen my Instagram and Facebook posts uh, about a week ago. I had a good, great pleasure to reunite with friends from my elementary school years. That's 44, 44, 45 years ago since our sixth grade back in Korea. But somehow, we got connected. And the few friends in living in LA, I connect with them, you know, catch up from time to time. But this one friend, I had to look through my album to find out, okay, I, yeah, this is the guy. 
Uh, obviously, not only him, but I got fatter and big, you know, and he's, he, he got big also too, so we rarely recognized each other in, in Asia. But having that dinner was so joyful. The, the, the lifelong friends usually are our childhood friends, isn't it? And as we were comfortable, we were sharing about catching up. He became architect. He found out I was a pastor. And his eyes were so big. A true confession, I was a troublemaker at school. And I, I got into so many fights. And I was known as a tough kid. Like the, when the, our private school, uh, among them, who is the toughest kid? Who get into this? The teacher wants to find out who's the toughest guy. There was a, some school fights going on, and they all named me. And he said, "You became a pastor." The truth is, I was blind, and I I, I grew up in the church, and everything was hunky dory. But uh, during my Early teen years, I began to get involved in so many athletic teams and martial arts, and I, I got involved in this two-dualistic double life. The Sunday, I was a little cute, you know, junior high kid, but during the weekdays, I was a gangster, literally. And then I remember one, one day at the summer retreat, how many times have I heard that Jesus, I mean, God is the light? And then I, all of a sudden, the reason why the people come to God is their sins are exposed. And I realized I was a simple man, not because of the only things that I've done, but because of my indifference to trying to live my life with autonomy apart from God. That itself was just convicting. I, I, do, I, do not, I did not know what was happening, but inside, in hindsight, I knew that Spirit is opening my eyes. I was so stricken by guilt. And it wasn't a kind of campfire scene, anything like This preacher was preaching. And this is my ninth grade height. Eighth grade, ninth grade height. Sad I didn't grow that much. <clears throat> So one of the big guys, and I start, couldn't stop crying. And then I heard that Jesus died on the cross for me. And I cried even more, because he finally opened my eyes. This is what I need, the precious Savior I need. And I still remember when I walked out the door that, after that night, and there was a mountain, the trees were, you know, kind of, making all these sounds by the wind. And it felt like God is clapping. Welcome home, my son. And that's 70s. And I just, I came to this song written by John Peterson. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day. Day I will never forget. After I wandered in darkness away, Jesus, my Savior, I met. Oh, what a tender, compassionate friend. He met the need of my heart. Shadows dispelling. With joy I'm telling, He made all the darkness depart. Heaven came down, and glory filled my soul. When at the cross the Savior made me whole, my sins were washed away, and my night was turned today, heaven came down, and glory filled my soul. This was my song. Over the years, there's ups and downs, but one thing I cannot deny, one thing I do know, Jesus opened my eyes. And he made all the darkness depart. Seeing the light. I want to close with this invitation. 
Do I need to do something to, to have that turning point? It's not by works. John 1, verse 12 and 13 says this, But to all who did receive him, Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor will of the men, of men, but of God. If you receive Jesus Christ simply as your Savior and Lord, turning away from your way of life, autonomous life, or your path, and if you receive him, Jesus will open your eyes and you will see the light. And for those of us who have done that before, may his light open our eyes even further every day that we will savor him, we will treasure him more than anything in the world. Because he is everything that God gave us. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for opening our eyes to see the light, the glory of Jesus Christ. And I pray for those people who are listening to this message and who is wondering, I'm not sure. I have clear turning point of seeing the light. We pray that your spirit will nudge his heart, her heart, to make the step to find out what it means to receive Jesus Christ by grace and grace alone, through faith and faith alone, in Christ and Christ alone. And I pray, Lord, for the rest of us that our posture and our daily practice of treasuring Jesus will produce so much joy and so much glory as a consequence to you. That is our earnest prayer and bring revival to Crossway family. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.